Well, church, let's stand for the reading of Scripture. Our reading this morning is uh, our, our core passage for the next three weeks, and it's Ephesians 3, verses 14 to 21. For this reason, I bow my knees before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named, that according to the riches of His glory, He may grant you to be strengthened with power through His Spirit in your inner being, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, that you, being rooted and grounded in love, may have the strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth, and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all we ask or think, according to the power at work within us, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations, forever and ever. Amen. This is the word of the Lord. You can be seated. Being rooted in Christ means uh, for me to attend corporate worship. Uh, we even have worship nights uh, that was, is all music. And that's really great because you get to sing praises to the Lord. Uh, then we have Bible studies during the year uh, that the women get together, and that is a really wonderful opportunity to really be in the scriptures ourselves and to share uh, how God's using that in our lives. And it's so wonderful to have the biblical teaching apply to my life, uh, and the pastor does that. Uh, any of the pastors that teach that Sunday are showing us how to take those biblical truths and put them into our life, in a daily life. My husband died on September the 28th, 2014, and that had an impact on my life because then I knew that I had depended on Bill for a lot of things. He did, you know, his things and I did, and we worked together as a team, <clears throat> but I didn't have a partner anymore. And so God said, it's me, so I'm gonna be what you need and he was he has been i'm so thankful to be attending a church that is grounded in scripture and teaches the biblical truths in this chaotic world that we live in it's just important to know truth and not opinion that the world wants to give us in psalm 1 it talks about a tree planted by the rivers of water and as a believer in Jesus, we are like that tree that's planted by the water. We are firmly rooted in Him. Uh, we can't be taken away from Him. We are His forever. And then the streams of water are like the Holy Spirit that now lives in us and feeds us and nourishes us and uh, restores us and gives us everything that we need.
Well, I love watching that video because, one, I love the person in it. I tell Victoria, my wife, and the staff all the time that every church um, needs a Trudy Puckett. Every church needs a Trudy Puckett because she's such uh, an encourager and a gift to this body. And then the second reason I love this video is because it's a beautiful, I think, illustration or expression of our vision, which is uh, to be a community transformed by grace sent to transform the world for the glory of God. That's a woman who has been through a lot, has endured much of life and the ups and the downs and the, the valleys and the mountaintops, and her love for God continues to grow. And her devotion for God and her heart for God continues to be transformed. And what God has done in her life is something that we desire to see in countless others in this community through this church. And that is why we are in the season that we are in. Because today is, is kind of a big day in the life of our church. This is, this is week one in the Christ Community Church Rooted campaign. And some of you know exactly kind of what I'm talking about because this has been brewing for a long time. And some of you, this may like literally be your first week here. And you're driving down Cantrell and you saw some flags and you hooked a ride and LRCA drove 14 miles back <laughs> before parking your car and walking to this random place called Warrior Hall. And so it may even be your first week, but the, the reality is, is that we, we are a church that's been on a journey like any church. And that journey really it began eight years ago or so in this room, March 15th, 2015. A number of you were there for the first public worship service of Christ Community Church. And so here we are about eight years later, and that journey continues as we look towards a move to a permanent home that will root us in this community for generations to come. Many of you have heard me talk about my first job in, in ministry. Back in San Antonio, I was, a, I was a college and singles pastor. And we had a guy in the ministry who I loved and who became a dear friend. His name is Dusty Dodge, which is a great Texas name. Like every cliche you can think of, right? And old Dusty Dodge. And, and Dusty was a leader in the ministry. And he comes up to me one Sunday after kind of our Sunday school class. He's like, Michael, he goes, I, can, I, I, I cannot wait. To, I just want to get married. And he said, and here's the exciting thing. I'm two-thirds of the way there. I got me. I got you. We just got to find the girl. <laughs> we just got to find the girl, you know. And two years later, I stood in front of him as he stood next to Danielle Zambrano, and I got to officiate their wedding. And we got their Christmas card recently, and they've got two little kids. And in a way, I feel like we're a bit like Dusty Dodge at this point. We've got the people. We've got the land. We just got to find a building to build. We're there. And my prayer is that two years from now, there will be hundreds of kids running around our new home as they experience God's grace in a profound way up on track 17, up the hill. And so as I think about where we are and where we are going, the reality is that it's a special time. And so over the next 
three weeks, what we're going to do is talk about as a church, how are we to be rooted in Christ, rooted in community, and rooted for generations, and how this move up the hill is going to help us live out those realities in a greater way. And the passage that will be our North Star is kind of the one that Justin read. So it's Paul's magnificent prayer at the end of chapter 3 in the book of Ephesians. And since we're kind of just parachuting in to the middle of the book of Ephesians, let me give a little bit of context about what's going on. Ephesians is a book that's six chapters long and, and is beautifully symmetrical. The first three chapters, Paul really outlines, um, it's, it's a heavy emphasis on doctrine. And then chapters four through six, there's a heavy emphasis on application. So you can kind of think of it as half doctrine and then devotion. Or the fancy words is he focuses on orthodoxy, right, belief, and then orthopraxy, right, living, how we apply that truth. And so at the end of chapter three, it's the end of the doctrinal section, and it's almost like Paul stops for a second, and he reflects upon all that has transpired, both in his life and in this letter, what he has written about. And he, and he takes a moment to ponder, to, to praise, and then ultimately to pray for the church. Like he ponders what God has done, what he has written, which is in chapter one, this magnificent salvation that's been accomplished by Father, Son, and Holy Spirit and the indwelling, sealing ministry of the Spirit in the life of the believer. And now how that is, because of Christ, the walls have been torn down in a world that there was so much division between Jew and Gentile. In Christ, that wall has been destroyed. And now there's, he says there's one new man in Christ Jesus, that there's the birth of the church. It's a new day, and it comes because of the person and work of Christ. And so he stops and he ponders and he praises God for that. And then he prays that the church would grasp that more deeply. That that would just infiltrate every bone in their body. And just find its way into the depths of their heart. And so he prays this just this iconic, beautiful prayer at the end of chapter 3. And it is rich and there's a lot of stuff there. But this morning, at least, we're going to focus on a particular piece of it. Because we are obviously connecting it to this idea of, be, of being rooted in Christ. I want us to look at the connection Paul makes between being rooted in the love of Christ and being filled with the fullness of God. So the connection between being rooted in Christ, and in particular, rooted in the love of Christ, and how that leads to being filled to the fullness of God. Look at verse 17 again. He says that you being rooted and grounded in love. Well, whose love? He says, may have strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth and to know the love of Christ. It's his love that we are rooted in that surpasses knowledge. And what is the result of that love? that you may be filled to the fullness of God. And so here's kind of the takeaway. It's something that I, came, that I came to realize, at least in my journey, a number of years ago through passages like this. And it's greatly influenced my life and shaped my thinking. And it's this, my ability to be filled to the fullness of God 
is directly related to my embrace of his love towards me through Christ. So my ability to be filled in the fullness of God, his presence, his power, his pleasure, is directly related to my embrace, acceptance, belief, understanding of his love for me. And that opens me up to him. Or to put another way, my ability to be rooted in the love of Christ is key to me experiencing the fullness of God and fullness of life. It's connected to his love. And this is not just Paul getting like all weepy and mushy with the Ephesians. We see this in other places as well, in particular with the Apostle John. And, and, and most notably in the letter of 1 John. Because in 1 John chapter 4 is this magnificent chapter on the love of God. And, and, and John makes clear, he says, we love because he first loved us. And then he, he sums it up in verse 16, which is really the key verse of the section. He says, so we have come to know and to believe the love that God has for us. That's the basis. And he says, God is love, and whoever abides in love abides in God, and God abides in him. So he's making this connection to the embrace of God's love, to then being rooted or abiding in his love, and then that being transforming in their life. And then the outflow of that is what you see. And it's something, this order that John makes clear. He says it's God's love for us that's expressed in Christ, God's love to us, that then becomes God's love in us, that then becomes God's love through us. But that's the order. And notice the order begins when I receive, not when I manufacture, not when I conjure up. It's when I receive his love and then I abide in his love that his love is expressed through me. It's from him to me, then in me, then through me, unto others. And so to be rooted in Christ, I think, is to have this, this intellectual, relational, ex experiential knowledge of his love. And then to grow deeper into that. To embrace that in more powerful, more profound, more personal ways. And so if that's the, kind of the angle by which we speak of being rooted in Christ, and, and in particular rooted in his love, then the question kind of comes, um, well, how do we do that in greater ways? Or to continue the analogy, how do we allow those roots to go deeper? How do we get those roots to become stronger? And once again, Ephesians 3 can be helpful in this regard because Paul is going to make mention of a number of things that both establish us, establish our root system, and then strengthen our root system establish us in Christ's love, and then grow us in his love. And it starts with faith. It starts with faith. He says in verse 17, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. So being rooted in Christ begins when faith in Christ is born. It begins when faith in Christ is born. I don't truly receive the fullness of his love until I come to faith in the person and work of Christ. 
until I trust in him. And then I receive the fruit of his love, salvation, eternal life, the gift of the Holy Spirit. And just like a, a, a tree cannot grow apart from a seed in which it begins, like our root system can't grow until it's established by faith, until Christ truly dwells in our heart, until we come to believe in the person and work of Christ and what that means for my life. And that's why from the very beginning, one of the missions of the church has been to reach the lost. It's been to evangelize. It's been to take the good news of the gospel and preach it that it may reach the hearts of those around the world and they may have their root system established in faith. That's why Jesus gives the great commandment in, in Matthew 28. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them all I have commanded you. Within church history, which I'm a fan the 19th century is considered the greatest century for missions. That's when the mission movement just had this major explosion. So a lot of the heroes of the faith and the great missionaries of church history come from that century. And, and one of them is a guy by the name of John Getty. And Getty um, was, he, he was Scottish, but he grew up in Canada. And after serving as a pastor for about seven years, he and his wife felt a calling to go overseas. And so they made the journey 20,000 miles across the water before landing in the, on the island of Samoa. And then from Samoa, going to one of the even far-reaching islands that has a name that I can't even pronounce, right? And this is where they would minister for the rest of his life for 26 years. They spent ministering there. And, and, the, and his ministry there and, and translating the Bible and reaching the lost and putting the word of God in people's hands and preaching the word, it had such an impact that you can go there. And, and in one of the churches he preached at or behind it, there's a plaque. There's a plaque that the people put there after his death. And this is what it says. In memory of John Getty, born in Scotland, 1815, minister in Prince Edward Island seven years, Missionary sent from Nova Scotia to Anatium for 24 years. When he landed in 1848, there were no Christians here. And when he left in 1872, there were no heathens. It says, when he arrived, there was no Christians. And when he left, there was no heathens. And look, I know that Little Rock is a long way from Samoa. I taught freshman geography. I, like, I know these things. And I know that, that 2023 is a far cry from 1848. And I don't pretend to be John Getty. But despite so many differences, it's really the same. It's the same thing. We live in a world and we live in a place where people need to hear the gospel of Jesus Christ. They need to know the gospel. They need to know about the love of Christ. God has commanded the church to be the vehicle by which the gospel goes forward. It's God's design. And in every generation, that call has to be reimagined, reinvigorated, renewed, 
and done again. As the gospel goes to the next generation, no matter who, no matter where. And we believe as a church that this move up the hill will play a role in helping us do just that. Like we don't, we don't need a brand new building to be rooted in Christ. I think we can all agree on that. So what's, what's the purpose then? What, what's going on? We believe that this will help us reach more with the gospel of Jesus Christ. That this will help us see more become rooted in the gospel of Jesus Christ. Because in our context, this is our island. And the best place and the best way to reach, we believe to reach our island, is to have a permanent home from which we go and from which we are sent. And so that is the heart behind this. We believe it will increase our reach and grow our impact and help us minister to those who haven't had roots established, have not had their roots established. We also think it will encourage the faith in those where Christ already dwells. But it needs refreshing. It needs renewal, which I think is probably all of us, right? Not just because of the ministry that will take place there, but because of the very place itself. I encourage you to drive there, to walk the grounds. Don't take anything, but just walk the grounds. And we, what you're going to realize is we are going to have a unique blessing. And it is unique, and it is a blessing. But we're going to have a unique blessing to gather and worship at a place of immense beauty. And please hear me. Something does not have to be beautiful to be sacred. That's not what I'm saying. That's, that would be snobbish. That's not what I'm communicating. It doesn't have to be beautiful to be sacred, but there's something about God's natural beauty that is sacred, that points to the creator, that reminds us of where we fit, that remind, I mean, it's the psalmist looks up and says, the heavens declare the glory of God. What is, who are you that you are mindful of us? You've created all this, and yet you know me. And I think God is going to use that beauty and the place itself in a powerful way. I think he's going to use it to fan the flame of faith within his people. He's going to use the place itself to be an ointment to, to those, those who are, to those who are hurting, you know, <laughs> to those who are hurting. It's going to be a place where people go to make major decisions in life, where they have major moments and markers in life, a place that will breathe confidence to those who are doubting, rain comfort over those who are hurting, remind people to slow down and remember their purpose just from being at the very place. I came across uh, an interview recently uh, for, with the great J.I. Packer before he died, and he was expressing his love, his deep affection for the Puritans. And one of the things he said about them, and it just kind of stuck with me, he said, they lived slowly enough to think deeply about God. See, they lived slowly enough to think deeply about God. And I think this place is going to help us have moments where we slow down 
and we think deeply about God. And I think all these things will happen. And our people will be encouraged in all these ways, just beyond even the people and the ministries taking place, but just the power of being in that place and walking those grounds. But our goal is to do more than just reach the lost. We, we feel like we are called to depth, right? We want people to move from a superficial root system to like redwoods. We want to be a church of redwoods with deep, strong root system. And that brings us to the importance of truth because those who are rooted in Christ are established in faith and they're strengthened by truth. So they're established in faith, they're strengthened by truth. No, no, I can't speak today. Notice what Paul says. He says, you being rooted and grounded in love may have strength to comprehend with all the saints, what is the breadth and length and height and depth and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge. So it's an interesting statement when you step back and think about it for a second. Because what Paul's saying there is, it's kind of like he's talking out both sides of his mouth. He prays that we would comprehend and know that which is incomprehensible. So I pray that you would comprehend and know that which surpasses knowledge. And it brings up this great like, dichotomy of this tension within our Christian faith that the church father Anselm put so beautifully that we approach God with faith-seeking understanding. We, it's, 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 we approach God understanding the, the reality that faith is required, but also the reality I don't need to check my brain out at the door. That there's reason for my faith and that there's things I can know about God, even though I cannot know him completely because he is infinite and because we are finite. And so it's faith-seeking understanding. And though we accept there are things about God we cannot know, things that surpass our knowledge, being enrooted in Christ requires a seriousness about that which God has revealed. If your roots are gonna go deep, if your roots are gonna be strengthened, then you're gonna take seriously that which God has revealed, which comes primarily through his word, because how do you even know that Christ loves you? How do you know Christ died for you? Did you see it? Were you there? We trust those who've gone before, and we trust that this is the inspired word of God. So my roots are going to be weak and brittle if they're not strengthened by the truth of his word. So it's established in faith. It's strengthened by truth. And it, comes, and, it, and it comes primarily through his word. So to comprehend his love, there must be commitment to his word. True love requires truth. True love requires truth. And it's hard to walk in truth if you don't know what that is. It's hard to be in an intimate relationship with my creator if I have no idea who he is or what he wants or how I am to respond. And where do I get that information? Where does that knowledge come from? From his word. I, I think of even like a key verse that, that we used when we created the vision for the church. This idea of being transformed. Romans 12, 2 says, Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good 
and acceptable and perfect. So his truth works in my life to renew and transform my mind that I might understand what it is he wants, how I am to live, how I am to respond in my life. So roots need truth, and truth strengthens roots now more than ever. I've mentioned a, a Barna study that was done a number of years ago before, and, um, and they did this study on biblical worldview. And so they wanted to know kind of how many people hold actually to a biblical worldview. Now, granted, this was done, hear me, back in 2009. A lot's happened since 2009. But even then, this is how they defined a biblical worldview. Somebody who believes that absolute moral truth exists, that the Bible is totally accurate in all it's, the, the principles it teaches. Satan is considered to be a real being or force, not merely symbolic. That a person cannot earn their way into heaven by trying to be good or do good works, that Jesus Christ lived a sinless life on earth, and that God is the all-knowing, all-powerful creator of the world who rules the universe today. And in the research, anyone who held all of those was considered to have a biblical worldview. And the, the number that they landed on when you looked at the American population of adults was 9%. And you may say, well, okay, well, because they pulled all these adults, and yeah, yeah, you know, what about, what about Christians? What about people who identify as born-again Christians? It was 19%. And they came back a couple of years ago and they did a bit of another similar study. And this time, the number of adults in America went from 9 to 6%. And Barna was quoted in the article, this most recent one, saying this. It says, our studies show, this is an, Barna is a, is a Christian organization that tries to gather data for just the state of the church and belief. So this is a Christian speaking. He says, our studies show that Americans are neither deep nor sophisticated thinkers. Thank you, okay? That's not the main point I'm making here. <laughs> it says, most people seem more interested in living a life of comfort and convenience than one of logical consistency and wisdom. But listen to this next quote. Our children will continue to suffer the consequences of following in the unfortunate footsteps of their parents' and elders. People who are willing to fight for a more reasonable way of thinking and acting can make a difference, but it will be a slow progress. So what's my point? A lack of biblical fidelity and depth not only has current repercussions, but it has major generational repercussions. Families where faith is not taken seriously typically have kids who don't take their faith seriously at all. People who are lukewarm on the scriptures, oftentimes the next generation are cold on the scriptures. It's not an apples to apples. I'm not saying if you're somebody who's experienced that or you have a kid who's experienced that, that I'm putting that on you. I'm saying that's what the data shows. That's what's been revealed. And so there's a generational component to this. We believe part of our desire to be rooted in a permanent place is so we can grow in our effectiveness in rooting people in eternal truth. That being rooted in a permanent space will grow our ability to root people in eternal truth because we, we think we have the ability as a church to stand on the shoulders of those who've come before and as the book of Jude says, to contend for the faith once and for all entrusted to us by the saints. 
and to pass that on to the next generation. And we want to grow in our ability to do that. One of the phrases that I've said a lot in this journey is we are doing this already, but we want more. This is already happening, but we want more. We want more opportunities to shape and to equip. We want better ways and more bites at the apple when it comes to ministry, when it comes to spaces for our kids to grow in the Lord, when it comes for spaces for our students to connect with one another and connect with the Lord, to enhance key partnerships, to host strategic conferences, to create spaces more conducive to transformational learning. There's a strong desire that we would become a theological beachhead in central Arkansas. We've even had rudimentary conversations about will we, could we ultimately be a seminary site, a seminary campus where deep theological training is taking place. We've had conversations with international ministries about there being an international partnership and theological training. There's a deep passion to raise up leaders rooted in Christ, contending for the faith, taking it to the next generation with strong roots strengthened by truth. So being rooted in Christ begins by being established in faith. We want to reach more. It involves being strengthened in truth. We want to teach more. And it's encouraged by others. We want to beseech more. Which means implore, but beseech rhymes. So we want to reach, we want to teach, and we want to beseech. And we, once again, we see that in Ephesians 3. In verse 18, it says, that we may have strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth. There's a communal component to the journey of our spiritual life where we're established in faith, strengthened in truth, and encouraged by one another. The author of the book of Hebrews puts it this way. He says, let us hold fast the confession of our faith without wavering, for he who promises faithful. And let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day drawing near. Oftentimes preachers will point to that one. They'll say, see, you should go to church. It's saying don't skip out on church. And that's fine at Andy, but that's really not the, the point of the text. Really, the, the, the emphasis here is on hanging on to our faith. Let us hold fast to the confession of our faith. Let me hang in there. And so that's the emphasis. That's the issue. And what's the remedy? What does he say is the thing that you need? You need one another. You need encouragement from one another. That's what he's saying. For our roots to go deep, we need others to like water them along the way. And when they're dying, we need someone to give us the nutrients we need. And that happens in community. And that's another reason. Community is vital. It's another reason we are making this move. And it's something that will be at the heart of the sermon next week when we look at being rooted in community and why that is vital for us as a church moving forward. Well, I want to I close this morning by um, telling you just something maybe a little personal. And I always, I, I get a little, I don't want it to be self-indulgent, you know, but I want to read you something that I wrote back in February of 2021. 
And um, we've talked about this journey that we've been on as a church. And it's a journey that I've gone through. It's a journey the elders have gone through. And, and as I've mentioned a number of times, COVID was this game-changing time. And it really sent us in this place in the back half of 2020 of what is the next thing? Where are we to go? What is our permanent move? Is there a permanent move? Should we be out here? Should we relocate? Not even just in West Little Rock, should we relocate to a different part of the city? And we just spent months praying and wrestling and praying and wrestling about what, what's next. And after a, a long time, I wrote Toby Burkett, the chairman of our elder board, an email. And I went back and I read it last night. And I don't read a lot of emails I wrote two years ago, but I thought of this one. And this is what I wrote him. I said, Toby, I believe we belong in West Little Rock. This is where we have been. And regardless of whether this was the church was intended to be planted or not, it's where we are. Plus, I love our church. I don't want to pastor a different church. I believe in our church. I believe we have a real role to play in the community we are in. I think if we left, it would be a big mistake. Between Roland, Ferndale, Chanel, Cantrell, and Westward Growth, I think we can be a church of importance and impact for decades to come right where we are. I also believe our call is to be a church that brings deep discipleship to the community through a depth of equipping, depth of relationships, and commitment to mission. I foresee that involving an institute or theological campus intentional family ministry, and a radical commitment of generosity and missions. I believe we will ultimately best accomplish these things with our own campus. A campus provides a clear commitment to the community. It roots us differently. Plus, it gives us new avenues to shepherd, equip, and grow within our body. I genuinely love this community. God has given me a heart for it. I want to spend the next decades of my life being a leader in West Little Rock and seeing this part of the city transformed by the grace of God and being sent to transform the world for the glory of God. I'm all in, can't wait. That's where I'm at. Love you, brother. Blessed to serve with you, Michael. So I went back and I reread that email. And the beautiful thing, even just for me personally, is I feel even more of that. Like I felt the Lord moving that direction in February 2021, now it's like, this is where we are. This is who God is calling us to be. Every word I wrote then, I feel more today. I love this church. We have a role to play in this community. I think a unique role to play. And the move up the hill is a piece of that. It's a piece of what will facilitate the impact that I think will come through the people of this church. And so we are just trying to walk in faithfulness in that. To see people rooted in Christ, transformed by his grace, sent to transform the world for the glory of God as a result of his love that surpasses knowledge. I'm all in. Can't wait. Love you and want to serve alongside you. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this morning, for the gift of the gathering.
for the ability to be together. And God, I thank you for this journey that you have us on. And God, we want to continue to be humble and sensitive to your leading in it. God, we believe you have called us up the road so that we can minister in a more powerful way where we are. So Father, would you give us the faith to do that? Would you give us the belief? Would we, as Paul says in, in Ephesians 3, would we trust you to do more than we ask or think because of Christ's work? Not because of us, not for the glory of Christ's community, but for the glory of God in Christ Jesus, our Lord. And so, Father, we give you praise this morning. We thank you. We worship you. And we do it all because of Christ, as those rooted in his love, established by faith, growing and strengthened in truth, and encouraged by one another. So, God, we praise you. We thank you. May our word, the words of our mouth, the meditations of our heart be pleasing to you. And we pray this in Jesus' name. And all God's people said, amen. Well, church, let's stand.